Hello and welcome to this week's slightly delayed French Football Weekly podcast. We are the podcast that loves a draw. No, we're not. My name is Chris. I am your host. And this evening I am joined by Mr. Jeremy Smith and Mr. Rich Allen. Good evening to you both. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Phil is not with us this week because I think we alluded to it last week. Um, She's in the midst of moving house. And based on a message to us yesterday, it sounds like it's a little bit hellish. So uh, best wishes to Phil. Hopefully she'll be back soon, sooner rather than later uh, in a new setup and everything's settled for her. So good luck to her. But uh, us three are going to sort of plot our way through um, an episode where we're mostly going to focus, of course, on the national side. Uh, Leblu playing three games since we last spoke to you, hence why we've delayed this pod slightly. Um, rather than going through the individual games, we're, we're kind of just going to summarise them as a whole, really. Um, so what games do you, I hear you ask? The draw against Bosnia and Herzegovina is the opening uh, fixture of these three clustered games together on the 1st of September. Edin Dzeko putting the away side in front for Anton Grosman, equalised three minutes later. Uh, Jules Koundé seeing red in the same game. We then saw another 1-1 draw uh, just a couple of days later on the 4th uh, with Ukraine. Shaparenko putting them in front just on the halftime whistle before Anthony Martial uh, popped up with the leveller for France. And then finally, uh, probably the highlight of the three games, for obvious reasons, France's 2-0 win over Finland, uh, a double from Bresman again, who uh, I think it's fair to say is feeling the love once again. Looks like a happier player. All of a sudden, it's amazing what getting out of Barcelona can do for you. So, um, Jess, I'll start with you on this one. What was your sort of overall feelings uh, over these three games? Little bit disappointing, I think it's fair to say, but how did you, how did you sort of feel? What was your takeaways from them? I, I mean, obviously, you can sort of lump the first two together and then maybe yesterday's is, is um, kind of slightly different, not just obviously because because it was a win, but uh, the first two were very much a continuation of the Euros and sort of France being very much in the doldrums and looking sort of pretty directionless and lacking in intensity and all the rest of it. And then yesterday was was back to something approaching what, what you want to see from from France. And I think there's there's kind of lots of reasons for it. But I, I feel like possibly more than most other people, the three of us have always been big backers and defenders of, of everything that Deschamps has done. And I think we've all sort of discussed, and I know that Andrew Gibney, Exodus Parish, also feels the same way. It's just bizarre that everything that Deschamps has ever done in his career and every success he's ever had has been kind of saying to the media and a lot of the public, so do I don't really care what you think. I'm going to do things my way. It might be pragmatic. It might not always be beautiful to watch, but it will work. And everything he's won has proven him right. And 2018 was sort of the perfect culmination of that like people said it wasn't great football but it was based on a very very solid defense there's nothing wrong with that because you need a good defense to win matches and then playing to the team's strengths so the fantastic ability to to counter-attack <clears throat> you had Pogba sort of providing the real balance in midfield you had Griezmann controlling the, ma- the matches um, with his brilliant ability and you had um Giroud was that that focal point and you had Mbappe as the sort of live wire around him. And I understand 
that sort of you you have to evolve and if you keep everything exactly the same at some point everyone will catch up and overtake you and all of that but I also understand if it ain't broke don't fix it and I get that Deschamps is sort of maybe harking back to 98 where France won with a pretty defensive football and then 2000 where they won with a very attacking minded football and maybe that's what he was thinking right you know I've given we've got our World Cup winners medals so now I can try to make everything more expansive and obviously, that's part of the thinking in bringing Benzema back. But the fact is that, that we saw before the Euro, during the Euro, and for the first two matches here, for various reasons, it just wasn't working. And it was really concerning. And I think the main thing, again, we, we've discussed in our sort of Euro post-mortems, a lot of it, I think, is because of Giroud not being there as that focal point. And that's one of the things I'm most disappointed in with Deschamps. I think he's treated... Giroud really like shit. I mean, that comment that he made about Mbappe after the Bulgaria match, it was a silly comment to make. But the guy who's the second highest France scorer of all time has just been unceremoniously dumped. Despite that, he comes off the bench when he's needed because the guy who's replaced him is injured. He scores two goals in that match. He comes off the pitch and the journalist asks him some shitty question like, why didn't you have a very good game? Of course he's going to react. And yeah, it was ill-advised to make the comment he made, but I still think Mbappe overreacted massively. And if by all accounts it's true that Deschamps was so pissed off with that comment that that's basically why Giroud's now persona non grata, I just think it's very un-Deschamps-like to kind of throw away all the good that Giroud's done just for that. Um, But anyway, I think that was one of the issues. The other main issue was that to accommodate Benzema and also Mbappe's ego, Griezmann was kind of exiled for most of the time to the right, where he's completely not useless, of course, and especially, I think it was the second match, I think it was Ukraine, Griezmann had the best defensive stats of every player, any player on the pitch, which shows what a fantastic all-round player he is. But he's kind of, his attacking um, ability or whatever is completely nullified there, and the knock-on effect of that is that Pogba feels that he needs to do all the attacking, which is great, but it's all very one-dimensional. It's fantastic, his long balls, but that's all he does. So France are completely reliant on that. And while he's concentrating on that, he's not doing his defensive job. And a lot of people are using the, the contrast. Sorry, I'm really going on. I'm really sorry. But <laughs> the contrast. yesterday, he, I think he had 17... Um, he won the ball back 17 times, which is the most of any France player since Pogba in another match a few years back. And you contrast that with the match against um, Switzerland in the Euros, where he um, scored that fantastic goal. But I think he didn't win the ball back once in two hours of football. And he's the one who gave the ball away for the crucial third Switzerland goal. Yesterday, because Griezmann was back in the centre controlling things... Pogba could go back to the brilliant 2018 Pogba rather than the pre-2018 Pogba and can go back to doing the very simple things, keeping the ball moving, giving it to Griezmann when he's available and still doing his defensive job as well. Everything sort of tied in together. But the bottom line, of course, yesterday, or the two bottom lines were firstly that there were two proper wing-backs who were able to bomb forward and provide width and other options, which kind of takes a bit of pressure off that 
Pogba, Griezmann, Benzema axis. And then the other one, obviously, is that Griezmann and Benzema were superb together. And although I'm still not sure he's international standard, I do think Martial played an underrated role in that. And my big issue going forward is everything that we saw yesterday looks like there's real potential to be used as the sort of blueprint going forward. But for me, the huge unknown is, is Mbappe willing to prick his ego enough to be that third man and to not be the main man, which is clearly what he wants to be in everything that we've seen from his football, from basically from his Bulgaria temper tantrum through the Euros, through the first match here, um, until he got injured and you can't see it, but I'm doing inverted commas for the injury. Um, everything suggests I want to be the man. And is he willing, in the way that Benzema did yesterday, to be fair, to kind of wind in his ego and be part of a team that scores goals rather than be the man who scores the goals? Yeah, yeah. you posed some, some interesting questions there. So, of course, I'm going to have to ask Rich for his take on, on those questions. Um, is that, do you, do you agree, Rich? And, and was there things that you spotted in that performance that you would go along with, Jez, in, in sort of seeing evidence of? Yeah, I think there was definitely something to take from, from the, the game against Finland. I mean, the, the first two games, you know, nobody seemed to really know what they were doing. Um, and I think across the three matches, we saw Dejan deploy a much wider variety of of formations and, and, and positions than I think I've seen before in his entire managerial career. Um, it was, I mean, some of it was enforced, obviously, with with um, with injuries and bans. Um, but definitely, I think something from that Finland game. Um, I think. One thing, you know, I think Jez has covered that that sort of attack very, very well, uh, and I completely agree with everything he said. Looking perhaps more defensively, I think what that game against Finland highlighted was perhaps because there is a sheer lack of quality right back within the French setup, and you can go through nearly all age groups and you struggle to find someone that you could say they're nailed on to be the right back is maybe actually going to this, this three man defense with then two wing backs sort of fits this France system very well. Um, we saw Teo Hernandez on debut impress, I think a, a great deal. You know, I've not watching Italian football and not watching Spanish football. I've, I've not really seen a lot of him. This is sort of my first real chance to see, you know, a lot of people have been clamouring for his, his debut. Now he's been given a chance. Okay, I'll see. And very impressed. And he has, I think, forced himself into the equation once everybody's fit. And I think this setup just works. The balance felt far more... It just, it just generally felt better, I think. As I say, those first two matches, everybody seemed to feel like they didn't really know what they were doing. Complete then 180 then for the game against Finland, where there seemed to be an understanding of what the players were asked for. And I think that formation and that setup, and it's, it's really then on Mbappe as to whether he can fulfil that role to come into that, that setup if... You know, we're, we're drawing a line under, I mean, it's not officially, but 
if we're drawing a line under Giroud's international career, which it's not been, you know, the door's not been shut, but I don't overly see how he perhaps comes back from this. And certainly I don't see him um, perhaps not making the uh, World Cup squad. So the onus really is on Mbappe to make this work for him. I think what, what we can take from this is I think use this setup, use this kind of formation going forward and basically put the onus back on Mbappe that he has to play within the system. You know, and I think that goes back to what Deschamps has always done. It's not necessarily, um, you know, players aren't necessarily picked based on club form. Players aren't necessarily picked on, I'm going to mould the team around you. Players are picked because they can work in the system that Deschamps wants. So I think this formation and this slight change in shape really puts that pressure, if you like, that onus back on Mbappe, that he has to come in and he has to make this work. Because it's, you know, a two-year-old could have watched the three games and realised, oh, that, that that's how you get the best out of Antoine Griezmann. You know, it, it, it didn't take a genius to work that out. It just perhaps took some pretty poor team performances to finally get that rearrangement background to where it should be. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing as well that I, I did enjoy, and it was across the three games, were, were those debutants. There was quite a few of them over the, over the course of the three games. But I think across, across the games, I don't think anybody did themselves a disservice. No. Um, you know, Ter Hernandez, I mentioned, really good game. Um, Chiumeni against Ukraine, I think he was France's best player. Um, you know, Diaby when he came on. Mukiele, I mean, he didn't come on for very long, but they, they didn't disgrace themselves. They'd given options. They'd given a great account of themselves. And Deschamps now again has options and options in positions where there are perhaps already established players that will have to now, you know, think very carefully about how they perform. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot to take from it. There's There's been negatives, but if we focus on the positives, I think there are that that game against Finland really, you know, it was, it was, it, if you were to have, if you were going to say three games, you're going to draw two and win one. That was a nice way to do it. Finish with a win. We can leave that international break now and we can take those positives. If we finish with two draws, we'd be focusing on the negatives now. Totally. We'd have forgotten the positives from the Finland game. We'd be focusing on the negatives, doom and gloom, but we're not. We can take some positives from those, fin- uh, from that Finland game we can go forward with it and we can see what comes next. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Momentum is a, a huge thing. And um, I'll ask you sort of both a, a different question, <clears throat> excuse me, to sort of um, round off this this coverage. Jess, the question I'll, I'll ask you is, do you feel the, if you look at like the, the famous Spanish side, for example, that were winning everything before them, <clears throat> excuse me, and then the, the, uh, there was the German side that had to go through rebuild, we saw Argentina and Brazil rebuild, there was something that I think it was Guardiola said when he was at, at Bayern Munich. He said sometimes players who just win everything, they they just naturally they just lose that edge, that just that extra bit of sharpness. And sometimes it takes a bit of a an internal rebuild and a freshening of a squad just just to go again. This is um, this is kind of a key time for France, I think, ahead of this Qatar World Cup because there are eyes on them after the 
yeah, let's be honest, the failure of the Euros. Do you do you feel like Deschamps has, has done the right amount of tinkering in this particular set of squads, albeit with a lot of injuries, he didn't have a lot of choice, but do you feel like he is he's doing the right things, Euro aside, in getting these kind of new names in ahead of potentially the qualification for that next tournament? I do, but I, I, I think it's something that um, people have sort of, there's a kind of, assumption that Deschamps hasn't done that in the past but if you look at like for example Euro 2016 to the to the World Cup squad I think there are only nine players that were in both squads so it's not like he hasn't always gradually changed things anyway um I think you know if you compare this for example to 98 2000 and then what happened after that I think the, the slight difference then is that for that squad it felt a little bit like that was the end of their journey and they were quite a lot of them were already like relatively old, you know, in or close to their thirties. Whereas this this squad that won the World Cup, I think, were, were mostly quite young. And as we know, despite the fact that the under twenty ones have again sort of not covered themselves in any glory this week with a draw against the Faroe Islands, we know that generally there is a decent conveyor belt of young talent coming through. Um, so I I think it's it's natural that things should change, but I don't think there's a need for sort of huge wholesale changes. But as as Rich said, I mean, in, you look at the teams that were lined up this time and because of, as he said, injuries and suspensions or whatever, there are actually very few World Cup winners playing. So whether it's by accident or design, that change is happening. I think it's just that, um, I think, I just think it's always difficult to make that change. And, I think part of it is that it's partly the players that have won those big competitions, that loss of intensity. But I think it's also maybe it causes maybe a little bit of a breach within the changing room, possibly when, you know, when France are referred to as world champions and half those players are not world champions, it must be slightly maybe difficult for them. It might be difficult for the ones who have actually got the medals at home in their sock drawer or whatever, to hear other people who haven't earned that accolade referred to as that. I think it also affects, I've read a couple of things saying it affects the relationship with Deschamps himself. That, you know, that there's players, a player quoted as saying, you know, beforehand we were scared of him. And now that we've been through a World Cup win together, it's a very different relationship with him. So maybe he naturally loses a little bit of authority after they go through that kind of emotional thing together so I think it's a lot of a lot of different factors and possibly all of those factors kind of lead towards the suggestion that maybe Deschamps should have quit after the World Cup I don't think he was ready and I don't I'm not saying he should have done but I think all those things kind of you can use that to make a strong argument for it. But I do think he's capable of making the changes. I think, back to sort of what I said right at the start, all those people that are criticising him for, firstly, not having a style, which was rubbish. You might not like the style, but he had a style. Now, at the moment, we're sort of uh, feeling around for a style and there isn't one anymore. So it annoys me, the sort of hypocrisy of the same people who criticised him before criticising him now. Frankly, only the three of us are entitled to criticise him now because we because um, we backed him beforehand. But um, I think I, I think he deserves a little bit more respect and time and patience for 
because of what he's done and achieved, but also because he is trying to change things. And to be fair, okay, you can argue just with bringing Benzema back just before the Euro wasn't a good idea and it mucked up the Euro, true, but he any team needs a little bit of time to make any kind of transition. He's trying to do that. Give him a little bit of, of patience. Give him a bit of... Um, uh, indulgence because of the fact that certainly this international break, he's dealing with so many injuries and disruption. He's not able to line up anywhere near the same team twice in a row, let alone three times. And give, yeah, let's, let's wait and see what, what he comes up with because his career suggests that he will come up with a solution. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, that's very true. The proof's in the pudding, isn't it, really? And, and that kind of um, snaps some points out, I have to say. And that leads me to the, the question I would give to you, which as well is, and that, that is simply assuming France do qualify. And I think it's fairly likely. I think it's, it's fair to say, barring anything dramatically bad. If they do qualify, what what, what is success for this team in, in Qatar? I mean, that sounds like a weird question because I guess the logical thing is they go win it. But... It, there is a lot of pressure to, I mean, to retain a World Cup, probably one of the hardest things to do in the sport, full stop. And you've got to factor in the fact that some of this squad will have to change over the course of the next few months. Some could be injured. It is, Jay, is Deschamps kind of, um, what's the word for this? His kind of uh, goal, I guess, is just to make sure that, that France don't underperform in this World Cup. You know, if they don't win it, but they get to the latter stages, would that be deemed as acceptable? Or do you think it's the pressure is on just to get back to winning this, this tournament once again? I think the, the, the pressure only comes on, I suppose, if he is looking to sort of radically change what he's he's used before to great success. You know, if, he's, if he is now deciding, you know what, I am going to go, more attack-minded. I am going to pander to the masses. I'm going to get this team trying to play beautiful football. If he tries that and it all goes, you know, tits up, then I think he's right to face a, a you know a great deal of criticism. In terms of what perhaps success looks like, well, it's you know it's difficult to say. Yeah, as you say, winning it. Yeah, but. I don't think there's many teams who've won back-to-back World Cups. It takes pretty, something pretty special to do that. So, you know, if you were to put a, okay, where would a successful World Cup look like in terms of how far they get? Well, so many, so many things can can change that. I mean, look at, you know, look at that 2018 World Cup. You know, France first knockout game, they were playing Argentina. And then you perhaps compare that then to the run that England had to the semi-finals and arguably to the final. And you think, well, there's so many variables that can change that. But if everything sort of falls into place and goes as expected, you would hope that with this, you know, with this squad, plus a few that have, you know, on the fringes coming through, you would hope that they would be a, you know, final four. Um but I think probably slightly going slightly off topic here, but just going back to the sort of the question of Deschamps himself, I'll sort of bite my tongue here a little bit, but the amount of, and Jez alluded to it, the amount of crap that came up again 
after those two draws yeah. of, and this is pretty much a quote, Deschamps is a terrible manager. Deschamps has always been a terrible manager. He needs to go. He should have gone after the Euros. We need to get Zidane in. Yeah, that's the one that makes me... The, 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 the amount that I have seen of that, and some big accounts on mm. social media as well, putting that across, is... I mean, it's laughable. It's lazy is what it is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very, very it's, lazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's just... It's pandering again, isn't it? It's pandering mm. to the Twitter mob of yeah. this will get some hits, this will rile people up, this will get people... We know Real Madrid are, you know, huge presence on social media. We'll get one of their legends, we'll get his name in. Who the hell genuinely could hand on heart say if Zelan comes in, he immediately gets this team playing the most amazing football, winning every match, wins the World Cup, wins the Euros. Where's the evidence that he can do that? Mm. What he's, what he's, the only evidence that he's got is coming into a, you know, reasonably, and this will probably get me a lot of hate, but a reasonably cushy job at yeah. Madrid, managing a team of very excellent players who have played for year in, year out, I don't necessarily think he changed that much. No. He's, he is just a, a figurehead. You know, he was a, and I'm not, this is not me saying he's a terrible manager. This is me that you cannot say with Deschamps' record, no, we want him gone. Let's bring in a manager who has only managed one club in his entire managerial career. Yeah, a club that was built around his image, as you rightly say. Yeah, it's 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 just silly. And I know there's only so much we can do in terms of looking back, but people do have short memories. Yeah. You know, let's let's just go back to pre-Deschamps and the utter, utter mess that the national team was in. The country hated them. Yeah. They hated each other. The yeah. press hated them. No one was getting on. Blanc started it. Then he had his own misdemeanours, which sort of tarnished what, what he sort of did. But Deschamps came in and he came in arguably one of the most difficult times that, that a manager could have come in for his first manager, uh, first international managerial job. You know, he, he'd done excellently at club level management um, and deserved his shot, but he came in at a very tough time. And ever since then, he has just got more and more people falling back in love with this team. And the fact that I think he, he was he was right to face some criticism after the Euros performance. I think that, you know, the, the, to, to not see go, you know, to not see past um Switzerland, yeah, that that's 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 something that he has to take on the chin. But we can't undo everything that he has done because of you know people whinging on social media because all of a sudden it's now back to player power. Well, if we can remember what player power actually looked like with this France team, we end up with a situation that we had in South Africa. Um, 
you've got to let Deschamps coach this team. You know, you've got to let him make the decisions. And this is this is on Deschamps because he he did seemingly bow down to the, the, the pressures that were being put upon him to play a certain way, play certain players. And that it's it's no surprise that France have hit a bit of bit of rough form because of that. Um so there's there's so much that people are very easy to forget and just like to jump on the simple, easy solution of we'll get Deschamps in and uh, get Deschamps out and bring Zidane in. Well, I'm afraid that that doesn't cut it for me. I want to see before we start gambling with the national team, I would want to see Zidane managing at another club. Yeah. Or maybe even going back to going back to Madrid now. You know, Madrid now is a vastly different Madrid team than it was when he was previous, the, the two previous times he was in charge. So even going back to even going back to Madrid and coaching back there again because it's that would involve a bit more coaching. coaching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would. Exactly. It would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's something that I would want to see. So it's it's a it's a question. It's not a question. It's a it's a statement, I suppose. Of Deschamps has to be respected. Deschamps has to be, you know, the man in charge, the man making the decisions. You need to trust him and let him do his thing. If his thing turns out to be a failure and it doesn't work, and you know what, we are in an endless spiral of poor performances, then we can start seriously questioning Deshaun. But that time isn't now. We're not at that point in time yet. Um, you know, there is a lot that, that needs to happen for me to start seriously questioning should Deshaun be in this job anymore for the time being he absolutely should be yeah yeah I, I, I couldn't add anything more to what you both said there I think that's absolutely on the on the nail on the head on the spot it just covers everything that how I'm feeling and I'm assuming both of you are confident that they still qualify I don't think there's too much concern maybe the Belgian game is uh is the toughest of the in fact, isn't the Belgian game of France? Nations League, I think. Nation, nation, of course, it is Nations League, yeah. So just discount that. Because no one cares about the Nations League, do we? No, we don't. We really don't, do we? Unless well, France think, win it. Unless France win it, then we care. Yeah. It's like the I think I can't remember exactly the rules, but I think there's also it as a sort of parachute thing. Well, that's not the right phrase either. Safety net. <laughs> if, if France don't qualify through the group, they do possibly qualify or at least make it to the playoffs if they get to a certain stage in the Nations League. But I can't remember if it's the stage they've got to or they have to have uh, got to the final. But yeah. if it comes to that, then we're in bigger trouble anyway. So Yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I'm I'm quietly confident. I mean, if you look at those next two games, Kazakhstan at home, Finland away. I mean, yeah, Finland away is never easy. I mean, any game is never easy at international level. But you'd well, in think theory, if lose, lose that lose in Finland and they win their games in hand and they're in control of the group. But, yeah. 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 It's, it's one of those that you look at it and you think really, as you said, it's that the old age adage of if you can't beat X, then you don't deserve Y kind of situation. Um, and you'd think I also, champions they would. I also said right at the beginning of the Bosnia game, 
France never make qualifying e- look easy. No, they're, they're knowing they always <laughs> have to scrape through. And then it is the same when we come to the group stages. They scrape through the group stages. It was then at that point then where, you know, the Deschamps effect would kick in. So yeah. um, I don't think the uncomfortable qualifiers, quali- qualifiers are over just yet. No. And there's, there's was- a few few others that are struggling in other groups as well it's not just France so yeah go on Jess. No just one other thing which is really sort of puerile and churlish of me but five like consecutive us. draws isn't good enough but it also means they are unbeaten for another five matches yeah. and but also I think they went behind in all of them so maybe mm. we should also give a little bit of credit for you know, it's true they didn't play with enough intensity in a few of those matches, but they showed character to come back in all those matches. Mm-hmm. We'll forget about the last 10 minutes against against Switzerland. But, you know, that even that is something to sort of build on or kind of, you know, if if there are many positives to take from some of those matches, there's there's a there's one to take. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't doesn't fit the narrative, does it? To to give someone credit for being unbeaten, um, unless you're a certain. I'm being challenged because they're they're you know certain certain of those draws shouldn't be draws. They they should be looked on as defeats because France should be winning them. But yeah, yeah. You know that said, when they've lost their defensive stability and giving other teams head starts, at least they are capable of coming back into it. Yeah. Yeah, agrees, agrees. No, I, I think you're both right. And realistically, I mean, as it stands, for those who don't know, the group is uh, France have 12 points from their six games, three wins, three draws, uh, plus five goal difference. And the closest to them are Ukraine, who've uh, played five games and they've got five draws. That's quite a nice little... Um, quite nice little what's the word symmetry about their performances Finland and Bosnia both played four games uh, five points for Finland three points for Bosnia and Kazakhstan uh, our bottom of the group haven't played five games uh, they've also got three points so realistically I think it's probably likely that the France will be fine and then it comes down to that tournament in Qatar and, and all that comes with that which we will certainly uh, get to the nitty gritty of it once we know who's part of it and who's drawn who etc and so on so that is to come um, speaking of what's to come uh, before we um, we do sort of wrap up this this week gets this week's podcast obviously we want to focus on France primarily but we will have a little look ahead to what's upcoming in Liga because domestic action does get back underway on Friday, this coming Friday, which is the 10th of September, as uh, Lorient hosts Lille, which, of course, I shall be having a little look at. Uh, I've got to work drinks on Friday. I'm going to have to find an excuse to get out of those early. Don't tell anyone I said that. Um, and then we've got PSG against Clermont on Saturday at 4pm. You would imagine that will be the, the messy home debut. Once, or actually, will it? Will he be allowed? Didn't you mention something, Jazz, about the... The yeah, apparently no South Americans will be playing. So Ooh. it might actually be a forward line of if Mbappe is really injured and can't come back, although I don't believe it for a second, um, <laughs> it could be a forward line of, I think it's something like Garby and Simons, like, you know, two kids. <laughs> that would be a thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Of course, yeah, because there's no Icardi, no Di Maria, no Neymar, no... Oh, wow. That, that could be quite the thing. Claremont will be uh, rubbing their hands, one suspects. So that'll be an interesting development there, one to maybe keep an eye on. Uh, Monaco, Marseille is, is obviously the big one on Saturday night. Um, I think that'll be a, a fairly decent watch. And um, yeah, I know it sounds a bit 
it sounds a bit sort of dirty to sound quite enjoying Marseille, but I kind of am, I'm not going to lie. So uh, that one will be one to keep an eye on. And then on the Sunday slate, we've got Montpellier St Etienne, which is the early game. Uh, two sides um, probably sort of fighting out for European places, you'd think, this season, although with Marseille, uh, Montpellier having had their forward line decimated, it's all on Valer Jamal's shoulders moving forwards. St Etienne signed um, a striker this week, didn't they? Uh, Ramirez? From Liverpool. Yes, yeah. Um, I wonder. I don't know a lot about him. I will confess, he's one of the he's, he's one of the few that I've never seen. They signed him from, I think, Liverpool Montevideo or something like that, and I think he's their record ever goal scorer or something like that. So. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. So Ignacio Ramirez. Um, he's been given the nine shirt, so no pressure there. And uh, yeah, he's got some some lovely pictures of him in uh, in his native country on his Instagram, which I'm just looking at there. So that will be interesting to see if um, if they can get the goals because I think that's the one thing uh, Etienne really lack is is a proper regular goal scorer. So we shall see there. Uh, speaking of lacking goals, Bordeaux faced Lens, and uh, you would think that they really need to get on some sort of run Bordeaux if they are going to bed in some of these new signings and get themselves back on the trend up the table. Lens. We know are fairly consistently pretty good at the moment. Got Brest against Angers. That's a two o'clock game. As is Metz against Troyes. Uh, confident to get back on winning ways, Jazz, I hope, on that one? No. No? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm worried about it. Uh, what's your concerns? <laughs> the fact that we've been crap since halfway through the first match of the season. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So you, you're being cautiously kind of playing it down. And hoping for the best, I guess. It's a home game. It's a home game. That's the way you got to look at it. But uh, yeah, we shall we shall see what happens there. Um, Ren, your boys are at home to Rouse. Again, the other two o'clock game there. Uh, I'm guessing you're a little bit more confident than three points at home in this particular fixture. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you're both, you're both um, miserable this week. <laughs> it's the, uh, yeah, it's the first... Not that he was paying particularly well, but it's the first, obviously, post Camavinga game. Mm. Um, but who cares? We've got Gaetan Laborde. Yes. Yeah. Well, this, um, this is yeah. true. He should be he should be getting his his debut, and then this Croatian player Lovro Major. Um, yeah. Nothing about, but I've been told I should be reasonably excited. So yeah. So bring reports. it on. Yeah, good reports about him. He, he sounds like one to watch. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. Uh, I noticed Camavinga posing in his Real Madrid kit uh, earlier yeah. on today. It's, uh, something looks a bit weird about that. I don't know. It's just, just one of those. I hope it goes well for him. But, um, oh, we'll yeah. See. Yeah. We shall see. Uh, not host Nice. Uh, we covered Nice in, in depth on one of the pods recently. And uh, I think it's fair to say that'll be a good test for them away at uh, Canwari's Not. And, um, yeah been quite enjoying some of the um again social media posts from nice and gautier looking very intense and in training and dolberg with his floppy hair running around at high speeds and yeah they, they do look like quite a happy bunch right now so we shall see how they continue on and uh leon are at home to strasbourg in the evening game at 7 45 uk time kickoff on sunday little bit of pressure still on leon um just ask, I'll ask you this from Jazz. Are you a bit surprised at some of the transfer window, of course, is now shut? A little bit surprised that Leon didn't do a bit more business in and out. There's a few that still are still lingering around that I kind of thought would, would end up getting moves and didn't. And then they didn't really bring in a huge amount. Did they? they didn't, but um, 
I saw a couple of people sort of posting potential Lyon 11s after the transfer window closed. And on paper, it looks very good. But this is Lyon. You know, it it depends on whether we get the good Boateng or the, at times, not so good ageing Boateng. It depends if we get the the brilliant Lopez or the Kamikaze Lopez. It depends if we got, get... Um, last season's Dembele or the Dembele that started this season so far. The same with Paqueta, whether we get the one we've seen at Lyon so far or the one that ended his time in Milan. Um, you know, all these players are sort of such Lyon players. We're not, I haven't even mentioned your your man, Awa. So, um, in theory, I mean, I think the fact that some of those players, Awa being the obvious one, didn't move, I think probably says all you need to know about him and how far his stock has fallen and how when it really comes down to it, actually not that many clubs are prepared to take the risk on the talent that we know he has. Um, I think possibly the fact that nothing else happened in terms of players out suggests that that, that one report with the, the list of the players that were sort of persona non gratas maybe was a little bit of bullshitting. And I still would like to see Shirky given more chances this year. Same with Kakare. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, definitely in theory, it shouldn't matter who has not gone or not come in because it is a, still a quality competitive team. But it, it just depends whether how often we see it, whether we see it. And I guess most of all, I think there's a lot of responsibility on Barting to, to um, shore up that defence because I think we saw in the last match or two, I think the the attacking side is starting to come together, but the defence still doesn't look fantastic. No, no work to be done. Work to be done. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, Rich, have you got a game you're particularly looking forward to this weekend that you're, you're going to be looking out for for any particular reason? Um, I am, you know what, it'll be probably one of the rare times this season, I'll say it, but I am quite looking forward to um, PSG v Clermont. Mm. Um, I've really, really, really enjoyed the start Clermont have made. Um, it's a phrase we've used a lot for them already this season, so it's at the runs of, runs the risk of becoming a little bit patronising to them, but they really are this breath of fresh air in the league. Um, the way that they've come up first season in the top flight and they're just playing as though they're just having fun and it's mm. you know I know we're only what four games in um, but it's working yeah and long may that continue and, and as you previously said you know with PSG but well, we're going to be pretty severely hit by the uh, the lack of South American contingent you know you never know no no, you never know. And they have, to be fair to me, they have started pretty well. So if they were to, to drop points, it wouldn't actually be the end of the world for them. But what a result would be for Claremont if they could go and, and upset the apple cart. And a few clubs have done it before, you know, in recent seasons, gone to PDP and come up with the results. So, um, yeah, one, one to keep an eye on. I think it's fair to say. Excellent. OK, well, we will uh, wrap it up there then. As Ooh, so can, I, can I just jump in with a bit of breaking news? Oh, you may. Absolutely. A bit of breaking news. Antoine Griezmann has ditched his long hair. No, he's he's had a chop. Oh, I dear. I'm still. I think I have mentioned it once before, but considering how superstitious footballers are and how bad his time at Barcelona was and how mm. bad his hair was, I'm still stunned that it's taken this long. 
<laughs> I uh, yeah, I'm um, where where have you seen this this breaking news, Rich? I'm, I'm frantically trying to. Oh, find it's it. if if you go on Atletico Madrid's Instagram. Oh, it's on Atletico. Presentation of him. Oh, I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at his his official Instagram. So um, okay. I saw uh, someone I saw someone retweet oh, the with with a line saying, "I reckon we're going to do really well in Euro 2016 now." <laughs> very good like that yeah i'm not i'm not sure about this hairdo i've got to i've got to be honest i'm not uh i mean you know i'm not one to speak with with my my hair but you know it it's not the best to be honest Andrew. it's not the best but uh I'm, I'm just glad to see him smiling again you know i hope it works out for him because he did do his best work at athletic madrid and um yeah i, I just hope he gets the love because because we love him Oh, look at his little Instagram post there. Bless him. Anyway, before I go all, all gooey-eyed over a player I will uh, never have the pleasure of meeting, let's wrap it up there. Um, thank you, Rich. Thank you, Des, for coming together this evening. Much appreciated. Thank you. Very much. And I'd uh, say so we will be back next week. Uh, we're not 100% sure what day, just as of yet. And, of course, we don't know uh, which one of the, the four or which one of the four of us will be in the, the seats, etc. because we'll see how Phil is doing. But uh, good luck to her. Uh, good luck to all the teams returning to action this weekend. Let's hope to have a, a COVID-free and uh, missiles coming from crowds free weekend. And uh, hopefully we can just talk about plenty more goals and plenty more exciting football. So until next week, uh, enjoy your French football returning at the domestic level. And we will speak to you very soon.